Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We're going to continue now in our message series. We've been we've started a new uh, series. Uh, we're just calling this Lessons from the Trail, uh, the Gospel in Daily Life. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. We'll look at a familiar uh, parable, story that Jesus told. And uh, you can go ahead and, and start looking for that. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Today we're talking about, it, this might be the longest sermon title I've ever come up with, uh, Get the Rock Out of Your Shoe. Get the Rock Out of Your Shoe. Footwear on a, on a walking path or a hiking trail, footwear is important. You want to wear something that, that works for you, but it's very personal. Everybody kind of has what they, what they like to wear. Uh, you'll see people out like on a nature walk in hiking boots and the, you know, the North Face vest and the whole deal. You'll see people on hiking trails and flip flops. That would be my wife. She's a flip flop hiker. And, uh, it's crazy. I'm like, you're in flip flops. She goes, yeah, it works for me. Uh, so, you know, you do what, you do whatever. I've seen people hike barefoot. Some of you have seen that, right? They're up there on the trails barefoot. If you've given up on life, you can hike in a pair of Crocs. Got a picture here for you of that, right? Um, whatever it takes. Um, but whatever you wear on your feet, whatever's on your feet, one of the most annoying things that can happen is getting a, a pebble or a rock in your in your shoe, a little little bit of gravel in your shoe, and it happened to me a couple of months ago. Um, there's uh, there there it is, hiking with Crocs, right there. You go, don't do that if you're with me. Um, uh, but it happened to me, and it, that's actually what inspired this whole series. Thanks, Johnny. That's great. Um, because you see, I don't like to stop when I'm on the trail. I want to just keep moving. I don't like to stop, and so if I get a little pebble in there, I'll try to adjust, I'll wiggle my foot, I'll walk on a little bit sideways, you know, and, and what happens is you end up shifting your weight, you adjust, and and it, it's a problem because it affects your body mechanics, it's not good for you, it slows you down a bit, it strains you, you, you know, in, in your back, and it's super distracting, and, and, it, and it's irritating, it may be painful and damaging to your body, all those things, but like, I'm like, I'm not stopping. I'm not, I'm not stopping. I can deal with it. I can live with it. Maybe I can get it to shuffle to the side of my foot where it's not really a problem and I just want to keep going. But even though a hiker like me doesn't want to stop and take care of it, don't want to make others wait while I take my shoe off and, and empty it out, there's just one solution. you got to get the rock out of your shoe. Now, what does that have to do with the Christian life? What are you even talking about, Brian? This is weird. Where are we going on this? Well, there are many, any number of small annoyances uh, in our Christian walk, and we tend to sort of want to ignore them or, or, or you know, kind of compensate for them or somehow adapt to them, but they hinder our walk with Christ. Uh, it might be a bad habit. It, it might be a lack of good habits. Uh, it might be an attitude, or it might be procrastination, it might be any number of things, but but I would just say the most 
persistent and troublesome pebble in your shoe in your walk with Christ is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. When someone does something that costs you or hurts you in some way, and we continue to hold that against them, it's an irritant that not only makes our own walk with Christ uncomfortable, it actually be, makes it eventually makes it unbearable. And actually makes us kind of an irritable, unhappy person. Right? The unforgiveness that we harbor, that I might harbor, may even be toward God. God, I just can't forgive you for what happened. It may be toward myself. I just can't forgive myself for doing that dumb thing, whatever it is. It's a pebble in the shoe that has to be removed. Now, sometimes the offense is relatively small, but you have, you may have endured major offenses. You know, you've heard the saying, well, you need to forgive and forget. If you could forget, you wouldn't need to forgive. Right? You may have experienced trauma, uh, and you hold on to it because to forgive feels like that person's getting away with it. Or that you're somehow condoning that behavior, kind of saying it was okay that they did those things. And so you don't want to, you don't want to forgive. Someone stole from you or harmed you or abused you or lied to you or betrayed you or cheated you or somehow let you down. And it's painful when you think about it. And the Bible likens these offenses to a debt, a financial offense, because, well, that's something we can easily relate to. That harmful act that someone did to you, maybe repeatedly over a long period of time, that was like stealing something that they can never repay. They can never return that to you. And the longer you hold on to that debt, the worse the pebble digs into your foot. It's time to get the rock out of your shoe. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. This is a a story that Jesus told, but it begins this way. Matthew chapter 18 beginning at verse 21. Jesus has just talked about how we correct a fellow believer when when there's been an offense and there's a problem and he's kind of unpacked how we we proceed with that. We warn them and then eventually we we push them out of that circle so they don't don't keep uh, stirring up trouble. But then Peter says, verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Peter figures he's setting the bar pretty high, isn't he? <laughs> I'll forgive him seven times. Boy, if, there, if it was only seven times, most of us married people would not be married. <laughs> I'm telling you that right now, right? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven or 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, this is quite the king that lends money to his servants, isn't it? In the process, one of his debtors was brought to him who owed him millions of dollars. Literally, the text text says 10,000 talents, 10,000 bags of gold. He couldn't pay, and so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Verse 26, But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. 
But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. Verse 30, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Verse 35, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. We thank the Lord for his word. Well, I think you can put this together fairly well, but let me remind you that when Jesus is sharing a teaching story, we call them a parable, the parables, when he's sharing that, the king always represents God and the servants are those who are believers, those who claim to be his followers, followers of uh, believers in God. And so it's an illustration of how God operates his kingdom. And there's a few things I want to draw our attention to today. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The first is this, that the king will call us to accounts. The king will call all of us to accounts or the king will call us all to accounts. What do I mean by that? Well, the debt in this episode, if we're going to apply it to our life, the debt is sin. Our wrongdoing, which God must deal with. God does not immediately deal with every sin. You don't sin and then judgment comes in that moment. It doesn't work that way. God is gracious. God gives us time to approach him to make it right. It just so happens he's already paid for every sin through the blood of Christ. But our sin is an unpayable debt to God. Like the servant who owed the millions and millions of dollars. Right? Jesus alone has the currency to pay our sin debt. Only Jesus can pay for that. So in the parable... Naturally, we're disgusted. We're offended by this this first servant who was forgiven and then refused to forgive the small debt of his fellow servant. We like, oh, that's terrible. And then you say, but my situation's different. Like, Brian, you don't understand. My situation, you know what my dad or my boss or my sister or my cousin or you fill in the blank, what that person did to me was really bad, really terrible, really inexcusable. It's not small like the man's small debt. Look, I believe you. I believe it was serious. I believe it was harmful. I believe it's left a a, a permanent mark on your heart. But listen, that does not minimize or justify our own sin against God. The servant believed the small debt was worse than the massive debt against the king. For example... See, the point is that it matters who we sin against. For example, if you say to your best friend, ah, be quiet, you're annoying me. You kind of have a laugh and say, oh yeah, sorry about that. But if you go to your boss and you say, ah, be quiet, you're annoying me. You're printing up new resumes, right? There's a difference. That might be the same sin, but who you sin against matters. It makes a difference. God is God. He's not your Thursday night basketball buddy. He's, he's, he's the sovereign overall. 
So the promise of the parable is this. God will call us to account for our debt of sin. And he is merciful. And he is willing to forgive because Jesus has paid the price for that, for our sin. Paid it all on the cross. But don't kid yourself. God is just and God is fair, which means he will set things right, including for the person who harmed you. God will call us to account. Now, there's an obvious question in the parable, which is this. Why did the forgiven servant, after being released of such a massive debt, why did he find it impossible to forgive the next guy? What was going on in his own heart? It does not make sense to us. You think that gratitude would just naturally flow. Unless we realize what unforgiveness does to our soul. I don't know who came up with this, but it's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison in hopes that the other person will die. Unforgiveness is poison. I drink this poison and hope that you get sick. That's ridiculous. Unforgiveness doesn't harm the person you're holding the grudge against. It only harms yourself. It's it's crazy that that we do this, but but look at this unforgiving servant. His heart is so poisoned that he cannot even see what he's received from the king. He cannot appreciate what he's been given. He's been shown this immense favor, but the hardness of his heart keeps him from appreciating what the king has done. So he's aggressive. He's violent. Look at verse 28. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Like he is. He's not a nice guy at this point. Mercilessly, he has his his fellow servant thrown into debtor's prison. He may not even have had the authority to do that, but somehow he got it done. And and, and by the way, at that time, in, in that era, in the time that Jesus is telling the story, it was actually illegal by Roman law to sell to sell a, a you know a debtor a, 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 even a slave for more than the value of his debt, and so they say um, you know that the text says that the man owed a hundred denarii, which would be about three or maybe three months' wages, but uh, you could sell a decent slave for five hundred denarii at that time. So his his response is just over the top toward this this fellow slave, and then of course. We don't really know, but there could be all kinds of reasons why he's so angry. You know, was he frustrated that he allowed himself to get in that massive debt in the first place to the king? Ah, just, you know, and so he's his anger at himself. He's taking out on everyone else. Was it gambling debts? Was it, was it bad investments? What happened that he got into this massive, massive debt? Whatever it was, his own hardness kept him from appreciating the king's mercy. Listen, friends, unforgiveness is poison. Unforgiveness is poison to your soul. And I wonder, are you drinking some of that poison today? Because I want you to watch out. It will eat you from the inside out. It will destroy you until the point where you cannot even receive the grace of God. And by the way, I am not for a moment suggesting that forgiving is easy or even a one-shot deal. But it may it may help to think of 
of forgiveness like a multi-story parking garage. You've been in multi-story parking garages. I think there's even one in Fresno that has the spirally thing up. Imagine you're on the top floor of that parking garage and you go down a level and you think, oh, I'm, I'm not out. Okay, so you drive and then you go down a level like, oh, I, oh, I'm not out yet. Oh, you go down a level. And you go, oh, one more. Oh, go down. Okay, and then finally you're out in the street and you're free of that parking garage. Forgiveness can be like that. You recognize that, boy, I got to deal with this. This thing that this person did to me uh, was really terrible and I got to forgive. And you, you, you go down a level and you think, okay, I'm done. And then something happens. You, boy, I'll just, uh, you know, you, you, something triggers it and you, you think, no, I'm not finished dealing with this. You go down a level. And it's like there's layers to it. I remember, um, we'd been through a really a very, very painful situation as a, as a couple and just in ministry, whatever it always happens. And, and, uh, you know, I thought I'd gone through all those stages of forgiveness and, one day, and I'm in a different city, I'm in a different country, I'm far, far away from that person, but I saw that person's car in a parking lot, the identical car. It was a very kind of distinct color and everything else, so I felt like obviously it wasn't them, but I saw their car. And all this angry, ugly just bubbled up in my heart. I'm like, oh, I can't believe what they... And I just had to pause. I'm like, time out. I've forgiven that. I've dealt with that. Jesus, I've left that with you. I am free of that. What happened was there was one more layer to my parking garage. And it's not until you get down those layers and and give yourself grace on that. You can't deal with everything at once. You can't jump from the bottom, from the top to the bottom. You go through those layers and finally you're free. And you'll know you're really free when you can pray for that person, when you can sincerely pray for that person who wounded you. That's how you know you have forgiven and you've released that debt. And praise God when that happens. But you've got to deal with that. Even though it can be very, very difficult sometimes. Now there is, we're going to finish with good news in this story. But I have a little side note to make first. And it happens in verse 31. Verse 31 says this. When some of the other servants saw this, saw what was happening, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. See, obviously the lesser servant couldn't speak up for himself. He didn't have access to the king. And yet, thankfully, his uh, the other servants did. But notice that they did not take justice into their own hands. They didn't beat the guy up. Or they didn't buy their servant friend out of, out of jail for him. They went to the king. And it's a really good reminder for us that we appeal to God for justice. You could write that one down too. We appeal to God for justice. You know, it's no secret. There's been a lot of ugliness in the nation over the last year, year and a half, whatever. And, and it's been in response to things that should not have happened. People in that process, people have taken justice into their own hands in some pretty ugly ways, riots and looting and and even violence and killing. I mean, it's been horrible. It's all meant to avenge real and perceived wrongs. I get that. But listen, we can never get justice done right ourselves. Ultimately, it has to be God who takes care of it. 
It has to be God who deals with justice. It doesn't mean to say we're passive and we take no action. It doesn't mean to say we don't stand up for those who have been wronged and harmed. I think that's the right thing to do. But these servants went to the top and we ought to too. That's where it begins. We bring it to God and say, God, I'm crying out to you for justice in this situation, for my friend, for this people group, for this nation, whatever, whatever it is. We go to God for justice. It's a reason that I need to forgive those who trespass against me. When I hold a grudge, it's as though I'm holding, it's as though I'm attempting to do God's job for him. God, I got this. You don't have to deal with this because God, I'm going to hold the grudge against that person. I'm going to get justice for them. And we, we effectively short circuit God's work in their life. I have to release the offense so God can take care of it. Whatever happened, we take it to God. And you may not even see justice, whatever that looks like. You may not see that served in your lifetime. But when you recognize the enormity of your own debt against God, and this is so key, we have to be willing to say, my sin against God is significant. It's severe. When you get that, and you recognize that God has mercy for me, then you can leave those other issues with Him. So the last thing I want to say is this. Forgiveness is life-giving for all. Forgiveness is really life-giving. It it gives life to you. The parable ends pretty darkly, doesn't it? It ends in a pretty, I would say, very sobering, sobering way. The unforgiving servant is turned over to the torturers until his debt can be paid, which is impossible. It's never going to happen. He's going to do nothing but suffer eternally. It sounds terribly hopeless to me. And the scary verse, I think, for real, is verse 35. Verse 35, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. We're not joking around here. Like forgiveness is serious business. Ultimately, the king did not imprison the man only for his massive debt. He sent him away because of the hardness of his heart that he refused to forgive. Was the king wrong to retract his mercy? No. It's his prerogative. What's more than fair is the warning given, given to us. Forgive as you've been forgiven, or you will not be forgiven yourself. And then you say, yeah, but my sin's not that bad. I mean, especially compared to what someone else did or what someone did to me, my sin's not really that bad. But my sin isn't measured by what I did. It's about who I've sinned against. That's the measure. My sin is against God, and that's no small thing. And it may help to remember this. The person who sinned against you didn't just sin against you. They also sinned against God, and God sees it, and God is aware. And He's keeping track. He's keeping record. Will you trust God to deal with that person? Get this. Even if that person 
receives God's mercy. If God will forgive that person, will you be able to forgive them? We're dealing with some very, very hard things. And I've, I've met with people, I've sat with people who says, yeah, but you don't understand. I was sexually abused. I was mistreated. Someone took me for all, all my money. Someone stole my business. Someone, you, you name it. Horrendous things. There's no exceptions on this. There's no like, well, okay, if it's bad enough, then you don't have to forgive. Your freedom only comes by forgiving. That's the promise. Your freedom only comes by forgiving. Forgiveness sets you free. Gets you out of jail. Gives you life. He keeps you from the torment of a spiritual prison now and for eternity. I'm telling you, friend, forgive, forgive, forgive. Get the rock out of your shoe. I want to wrap this up with a passage out of Book of Romans, Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. It's a beautiful passage. It says this. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. But because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. That's got to be one of the most sobering moments in the New Testament. Only the person who repents of their sin. Only the person who responds to God's kindness. Some people think, well, God's kindness means I can do whatever I want. God's kindness means there is no sin. God's kindness means there is no standards. And I can just... No, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. To bring our heart to Him and to align ourselves with Him. And only the person who receives, uh, repents of their sin receives the life-saving mercy of God. One way that you know you've turned from your sin is that you've also forgiven those who have harmed you or wronged you or sinned against you. Friend, if as we've talked about today, there's a person or situation that has come to mind for you, somebody you're thinking about, I urge you, take steps to forgive, to release that debt. Talk to me if you need help. Listen, I I recognize it doesn't just go away. It costs you something to forgive. If 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 you steal a hundred dollars from me and I forgive you of that stealing that hundred dollars from me, guess what? It just costs me a hundred dollars. It's not free. It doesn't just magically somehow go back into my wallet. It costs you to forgive. I get that. But compared to the forgiveness that you've received from God Almighty, it's nothing. It's nothing. That person that you need to forgive might still be in your life. Or they may live far away. Or they may, have, they may be deceased. They may be gone. Maybe a parent or, a, or, a, or an ex or somebody who's out of your life. 
you can forgive without ever speaking to them. You can forgive without hearing them say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? I've heard that often. Well, I'll forgive when they ask for my forgiveness. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. It doesn't say go ask for forgiveness. It says you forgive. You forgive. You can forgive without having to tell them how much they hurt you. You can forgive without inflicting pain in response. Sometimes we want to do that. Oh yeah, well, I'll forgive you, but I want you to know how much that hurt. That's not really forgiveness. That's still vengeance. It may not be wise to have any contact with that person at all, but we need to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave us. Ephesians 4.32 Just as in Christ God forgave us. We're going to pray. I'm just going to take a quiet moment. And if there's any business you need to do with God, I want you to do that now. You may just want to ask Him for the courage and strength to do what you need to do. You may have a clean slate, and that's awesome. Just pray for the people around you in this moment. Dear God, I thank you that you are the great and mighty, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing King. And you've seen every wrong act I've done against you and against others. You're aware of that. God, because I've yielded to you and I've cast myself on your mercy and receive the forgiveness of Jesus. I know I'm forgiven. But Lord, it seems like it's tied to you. It's conditional on my ability and my willingness to forgive those who have harmed me. So God, even now, we just, I would ask in this moment, Lord, if there's business that any of us need to do with you, that we would have the courage to do that. Lord, for the person who just feels like it's too hard to forgive. Lord, give them a fresh picture of your mercy in their life. God, give them the the grace to be able to forgive the unforgivable, to release the unpayable debt, to let you take care of it, to let you deal with it as only you can. And God, I thank you today for your mercy we would not be able to breathe a breath without it. And I give you thanks for that. God, you are good. You love us so deeply. And you want more for us, Lord. You have more for us. If only we'll trust you and release those who have trespassed against us. Friends, I'm going to invite you just to recite The Lord's Prayer with me. We're going to have that on the screen as well. Let's say this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bed and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church, it's been good to be together this morning. And um, I just want you to understand, there's joy, there's life, there's freedom that comes. If you need to 
work with somebody, if you want to kind of talk to me about how to process that, I can give you some kind of steps that help you get to that place of forgiving. But you got to stop. You may be on the top floor of that parking garage. You may be halfway down. But let's get you all the way out onto the street of freedom. All right. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.